welcome to Charging Thoughts. In today's first episode of the podcast, we'll be talking about veteran PTSD, mental medical diagnosed individuals, and music. I'm your host, Joseph, and beside me are my colleagues, Darren and Caleb. So why don't you guys tell us about your research? All right, so I'm Caleb, and uh, I chose the topic of mental illnesses, but uh, specifically in relation to veterans of the United States military and post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, so I was able to go through and look at some of the causes of PTSD, as well as you know some of the effects that it can have on those individuals that are diagnosed with it, and uh, just some of the, you know, yeah. things that they might have to deal with because of that. All right, all right. All right, I'm Darian. And at first, my topic was going to be based around the broad topic of mental health, ranging from psychology to therapy and to different mental disorders. But I changed it as there'll be a lot of information. So I narrowed it down and found a topic that would let me talk about mental health, but also people with present psychiatric disabilities and if they are dangerous or not. It allowed me to find mm-hmm. data of crimes that involved medically diagnosed individuals to actually determine an answer and find the cause for said question that is constantly raised society is automatically psychiatric, dangerous or not. For myself, I took a bit of a diverging topic and focused on how music actually affects the adolescent brain. It provided a long, this research provided a long list of potential mechanisms and, and causes behind these interactions of music in the brain, though nothing can really be said. Caleb, why don't you talk to us a bit more about your topic? So, uh, like I said earlier, my research was you know, focused around post-traumatic stress disorder uh, among the veteran community. And so while I was doing my research on this topic, uh, it brought up some, some really interesting pieces of information. Um, so just to give a little background information, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, between 2015 and 2019, there were 18.2 million veterans in the U.S. military. Um, and among that veteran community, PTSD is something that's it's far too common. Um, often it's caused by MTBIs um, or mild traumatic brain injuries. So according to the CDC, uh, MTBI is caused by a bump, blow, or jolt to the head or by a hit to the body that causes the head and brain to move, move quickly back and forth. Um, so there was a study published by the New England Journal of Medicine that also found that PTSD was strongly associated with MTBIs, and uh, out of a group of soldiers that they interviewed, 43.9% of those who had reported a loss of consciousness due to an injury uh, also met the criteria for PTSD. Um, so, uh, you know, after doing some background research in relation to just how exactly veterans might end up with PTSD, I started to kind of look at some of the effects that that it could have on veterans and. Um, some of the other issues that they might deal with due to that. And uh, so two separate studies that were published found that among that veteran community, uh, PTSD seemed to be the most important predictor of unemployment, Hmm. which I thought was interesting. Um, They also found that PTSD is highly associated with impairments in memory, attention, and executive functioning on objective cognitive measures. Um, So, I mean, even... You know, it just shows that even like some of the smallest tasks that you know, a lot of people often take for granted can prove to be very challenging if this is something that, that you're dealing with. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how would you suggest, knowing what you know, that civilians help uh, returning vet- veterans reacclimate to the civilian life? I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is just 
helping to make them feel like they have a place back in society. You know, they're, they're trying to rejoin civilian life. And I think it's just, you know, helping them feel like if they need help or if they need someone to talk to, that that helps there. Um, I mean, I think a lot of times people see them, you know, kind of as invincible or, or don't imagine them having these mental struggles to deal with, uh, which can make it hard for them to feel comfortable asking for help. So I feel like that's the biggest thing. Right. Uh, do you think these veterans are actually getting the help they need? I mean, that's, that's a tough question, but just from what I've seen, I, I think the help is there. But I do think they have to be like willing to reach out for that help, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I do think there's more that can be done to better help these veterans. All right, all right. I'll take, I'll take the next slide. To recap, um, my subject of research was focused on music training and the adolescent brain. A little bit of con a little bit of context behind why this the subject even exists was that in the '60s there was a little bit of research had come out showing that there was a difference in mental capacity between musicians and non-musicians. Um, the ability to like find motor control, the ability to recall different things, um, just general mem memory, for example, it's a good one. Um, that research began in about 2003. There had been enough work done that several literature reviews had come out and said that, hey, this exists, that th there's a noticeable effect between, there's a noticeable and verified effect between mus musical training and the brain as a whole. There's something going on here. And uh, that, that kind of, that, that got the neuro side of academia excited and they they took off they took off with these studies and uh, my study actually follows along the trend of literature review and i worked to investigate the cause and effect of mu of musical training but mostly focused on the developing adolescent brain i had six studies that focused on different aspects of this topic one of them focused on pure intelligent testing two on intelligence and cognitive testing and three with mri testing the difference between intelligence and cognitive is really what you're looking for. Uh, it's, for example, it's the difference between taking an IQ and an ACT test. That that that's a metaphor that you can make, or connection. Um, but the conclusion I came after all this is really anticlimactic. A connection exists, but we really don't know much more than that. There's a few pieces of significant evidence that point to that they're not. The results literally say that there is no connection. Yet we have about four, we have about sixty years of research saying there is. For um, mostly the, the Costa Guillaume study, a, um, a it's a long term study took the place over three years, yielded that musical training had no effect, literally had no effect on the on these kids' um, brains and their performance, which is contrary to everything else that we have to this point. MRI studies haven't been conclusive either. Um, the three of them that I had said that cerebral development occurs, but not in such a way that it would explain the effects we see today. Um, only thing I can definitively say is that we have to do more research. So you mentioned in your paper that you know this is a hard topic to research just because of you know there's many different factors that can contribute to different results. Mm -hmm. um, so do you, th do you think there's a solution to that problem or a, or a better way? To do that, I would say the the core of why we don't know right now, why we can't why we can't get this knowledge, is a lot to do with the nature of the problem itself. Um, these studies deal 
with individuals and the ones I'm looking at, they're dealing with kids. And you start to get into a lot of ethical concerns when you do that. So that makes it very hard to conduct research and it's very, um, it, it's very intimidating to approach these laws. Um, and there's a hundred other factors that go into it too. You can do the best you can to limit them. Um, you, you can be homogenous with the people you pick, socioeconomic background, parent, parents, if they've had training in the past, but you can't, you can't, determination of the kid to learn music, for example. You can't factor that. That's individual, and you'd have to do hundreds upon hundreds of people to be able to get that, and we don't have the resources for that. So that would that would definitely help. Um, the, the, best, the best thing we can do is either do longer, more in-depth studies, or just a ton of more detailed, specific, short-term studies. All right, that does it for our first segment. Uh, we will return after a quick word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Ishan Pokrell, founder of nonpartisan news organization PB Political. Over the last few years, I'm sure you've noticed a divide over politics that has heavily affected American society. Hateful language, sensationalization of headlines, and so much more has deeply hurt American political life and even affected our everyday lives. This issue led myself and a friend to create PB Political to combat constant misinformation and vitriol we saw affecting everybody around the country. Our mission is simple. We want to write well-sourced and informative articles about important topics worldwide while keeping everything unbiased and nonpartisan. At PB Political, we believe our readers should be allowed to form their opinions on important issues without being influenced by skewed language or by cherry-picked research. Over the last two years, our mission has expanded to over 20 writers and hundreds of readers every week. If you want to break free from the legacy media and actually learn about what's happening in the world in an informative way, go to pbpolitical.com to read nonpartisan and informative pieces on a broad range of important topics, and also follow our Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok by searching pbpolitical. Thank you, and enjoy the episode. Welcome back. We ended our last segment discussing my own research, and we've got one friend left to go. Darian, take it away. All right. As I briefly talked about when I answered my last question was about the topic of mental health in my research paper, which revolved around the question, are those with a mental disability really as dangerous as they seem? My research was based on finding an answer as well as ways to raise awareness and finding out why this question is so often asked in society. To start off trying to find the answer, find an answer at hand, it brought me a statistic that surprised me considering why this question is brought up so much, and that was that Less than three to five percent of American crimes involve people with mental illnesses. After seeing this number, I asked myself, why are people always labeled with having a mental disorder when a problem occurs? The answer to this is social stigma. The social stigma, which has seemed to become an adaptive thought that the mentally disabled are dangerous is one, wrong, and two, statistically wrong. But this stigma has been normalized mainly because of novels and certain types of movies. It can be harmful as it can affect this group of people and for one already, and for one, who for one already have these own, have their own problems, and for them to be looked at differently and treated differently just in itself isn't fair. Hmm. One interesting thought that, that comes to mind is um, is labeling. Whenever people or the media is especially really at fault for this, but um, whenever I think you had mentioned at one point in previous conversation that uh, whenever there's a a mass case of a, a case of true horrendous violence. People find uh, will always try and find a way to 
to lay the blame, find some cause that they can internally accept as that. And from what I remember, you mentioned that um, mental diagnoses are one way they, they try to do that. They try and put all the fault on that, which which is an interesting point. Um, the stigma, do you have a little bit you can elaborate? Yeah, it's scapegoats, scapegoats the answer. Uh, we've seen this in the 1900s in World War II, scapegoats. You look at a lesser group that you can put blame on, a group that doesn't have that much power or a say, they're already kind of looked at differently, and you blame them for something. And since they're already close to powerless, it then becomes adaptive from whole society that everyone will begin to look on that group lessly. And because people with uh, mental and psychiatric disabilities are already, I mean this as loosely as possible, uh, mm-hmm. Mostly less able than normal people in society. Yes, yes, I and understand. It's just, it's just a common thing easier to just put blame on them because they don't have much power in society. Thank you for elaborating on that and for your perspective. The question I admit that I originally had that I'll return to is that you uh, discussed psych- uh, admission to psychiatric wards, um, the reason that that goes on. How and it was really interesting to see that. That's actually, I I think both of us can agree that that's something people need to understand more about to change the perspective. But how has your individual understanding around these wards changed uh, when you started versus now? Uh, yeah. So before uh, I started researching, I thought psychiatric wards were at these places like mental, uh, mental, insane mental asylums, like what you would think. But no, these places are actually like uh, medically run by health professionals that will work at a hospital. It's just mm-hmm. a specialized hospital for these certain type of people. It's a clean environment. They have occupational therapy and uh, they have doctors that will aid any type of uh, mental disorder that a patient would have. They have um, activities they'll do throughout the day. They, they'll get meals throughout the day. They'll be taken care of. Even if that person has like a mental disorder or a problem with them, that would cause them to stray away from uh, talking to other people, they will still be helped. It, it's just a different place than a, what a normal hospital would be. Like, you yeah. think a normal person would be. But no, it's it's still a clean place. It's perfectly fine, involuntarily admitted, voluntarily admitted. It's not a negative place to go to. All right, thank you. So what, what, is, what do you think can be done to to you know, help remove some of these stigmas that, that surround this topic? Um, well, to remove them, raising awareness mostly uh, can be a thing to remove these stigmas. But since like these ideas in people's heads have been like passed around for so long, you it's, it, it's difficult to remove something like that. It's like an adaptive trait. It's kind of hard to remove that. But what can be done, raising awareness, um, but in the end, it's all in someone's mind whether they choose to believe in something different. So it's all someone's head opinion. All right. Now comes the fun part of the podcast, open discussion. The segment is focused on connecting what we've researched and finding a common th- uh, theme between the three. Gentlemen, the floor is open. So, uh, I mean, I, I know from my research and for Darian's research, uh, we both looked at, at different mental illnesses and you know how they can affect different people. Um, but even with Joseph Re- Joseph's research, we all three were looking at different things that were all 
you know, connected to the brain and different things that affect the brain. Um, so I feel like just as far as connecting all three topics, that's, that's one big way that they're all three kind of tied together. Um, the research that I did, I mean, it's a far cry from what you guys have done. It's completely different. But there is, I'd argue that there are some ways that stuff is connected. Besides just that it's part of the brain, that everything deals with how our, how we are neurologically wired to operate, uh, is that music therapy is, that, that's something that can tie into it. Music is a method to help with the madness that is, that is the world, really. Um, but musical therapy is used to treat anxiety, depression. I mean, that's something I'll, that both of you guys would see. Um, it helps creativity form so, in forming social bonds. I think that's one way that we're connected. Yeah, to, to add on to that, talk about uh, music being a way to treat depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but one thing about that in the brain is neurotransmitters. Um, neurotransmitters mm-hmm. um, are one of the ways to carry dopamine and serotonin. And that's kind of how, when music regulates that, and when these neurotransmitters are destroyed or damaged, it can hinder that or release more or release less than a person would need. And that's how things, like that's how disorders like depression come about. Yeah. So the, the in-depth science of the brain is mostly connecting all of us together right now. Yeah. Oh. That was really, really great. Awesome. Uh, and our final discussion point is to relate all the work that we've individually done to the title, the title of the course, The Ties That Bind. Thoughts? So uh, I, I know from, from my topic at least, uh, you, you know, these are veterans that are returning home from their service and, and they're trying to rejoin civilian life, which, you know, for, for those with PTSD and that, that sort of thing, it, it can prove to be very challenging. Um, but I, I feel like making that transition as easy as possible, um, you know, it's something that's very important. I mean, you know, these are people that volunteered to risk their lives to protect our freedoms. And, and so that transition back and, and feeling like they have a place in society, um, feeling like they're connected to everybody else, I feel like is something that's very important and, you know, really ties in with our course theme. Yeah, to add on to that, yeah, society kind of ties it to uh, my my article, uh, my my paper, is that society not being as accepting because of social stigma, kind of falls into the place like them not accepting, kind of veterans with PTSD, uh, back into society because they think anything can go wrong at any time, and they're just mm-hmm. not trying to first aid them and actually help them come back into society, which is one of the main problems as why the. Uh, they get worse over time, but people tend to think as uh, the same as the people next to them. They'll just fall in line and they'll think the same, and because they want to be accepted in society themselves, and they don't look at the group that already isn't being accepted in society. But then people are all entitled to their own opinions. So, yeah, yeah. And to to wrap up this point is that if we, it's funny but kind of literal that music is a tie that binds. Music finds its way into society's fabric as a whole. It doesn't matter who you are, music is a part of your life. In some tiny fraction to it is all you do. There's always been music where there's always been humans. It may not be publicly acceptable, but it's there. And 
through that, I believe, and through music, I believe that we can find each other and that we can really learn to understand each other, to be around each other, to be happy, to laugh, to cry, to to be safe, and that's that's really what music's all about. It's about being human. You guys got anything else you want to add in? That's it. That's all for today. That's it. All right. Everyone, we've done it. It's one podcast down. My friends, we thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you on the flip side.